Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you for being here. My guest today is Connor Fowler. He is a logo and brand designer from London, England. He is also the host of the popular design podcast called The Fowler Hour. We get into some awesome stories and Connor really brings it in this episode. He tells us about how when he was around 9 or 10 years old, he was the only guy in the art class getting briefs from the teachers, you know, a little bit of information. Oh, do it for for this. And, you know, here's the situation and here's the, the lead in, you know. Connor and I also talk about his time with his metal band or dance metal band that he was the sort of became the manager for. And that led him to starting to experiment with designing merch and creating merch for the band. And that was sort of his first foray into real design. We talk about how Aaron Draplin is a huge influence to him in design and why. Now, Connor also tells us about the one logo concept, how when he's doing a logo for a customer, he only presents one logo, not options, one logo. He talks about that. He talks about why he does that. And I also love his story that he shares about the most challenging project that he's dealt with in his career so far. And this story, I feel, is going to resonate with so many designers um, I feel like everybody's almost had an experience like this, and he goes into the details about it. So enough messing around with me. Let's get to the reason why you're here, which is the brilliant guest that I have. Ladies and gentlemen, Connor Fowler. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Connor, thank you so much for being on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me, Dave. Awesome. So, you're ready to go with the Quickie here? Oh, yeah, of course, mate. Let's go straight right. into this. <laughs> well, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Um, I'm a logo and brand designer. Hi. Well, firstly, hi, I'm Connor. Hello. Um, <laughs> I'm a logo and brand identity designer from the UK. I'm currently living in London. Uh, you might have seen some of my some of my face uh, on the videos for the Young Guns on the Futures channel. Um, so you may recognize my voice from that at some point. But if you don't, you've probably seen some of my work at C. Fowler Design uh, across Instagram and things like that. Awesome. Um, so I want to go back even further to, you know, you being we the, the massive designer. We're going way back here. What was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood? Uh, definitely. I was, but in a completely different way. So I didn't start kind of doing art. I started doing music. Um, mm-hmm. So in year, what was that? Would have that been? Year like two no year three which was maybe ooh, i'm trying to work out how old i was like nine ten uh i started doing and playing acoustic guitar and cool. i basically did that for best part of of eight years or so so that's where i started doing music um and then i started taking uh, when i was allowed to pick the subjects i was doing i was doing kind of just your spog standard uh art course so it was kind of do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always the kid in the room who was given a brief. So it was something like I distinctly remember getting a brief that was like, 
do a carnival. So they were thinking things like Rio Carnival or some of the more Latin big, big peacock feathers, like big flamboyant carnivals. And I was like, you do realize, guys, that carnivals can also mean clowns and creepy, scary things, right? <laughs> yes. So, so that was my creative outlet was always to just kind of twist whatever was said to me. So uh, that's where it kind of started creatively. But my parents were never kind of like, oh, just do academic, do academic. But I was mm-hmm. a very academic kid anyway. Um, so art ended up just being an outlet. Cool. So your parents then supported the art and creative direction. Uh, yeah, they kind of. Neither of my parents have been to university, um, but they saw that I was very talented academically mm-hmm. and that art was just something extra. I was doing pretty okay with it. It was fine. Um, but it was never kind of, especially when I was a younger kid, they didn't see that that's the direction I would go. Mm-hmm. But they, they weren't against it either. Got it. So do you think it was those early school interactions where you were getting briefs in, what was that, year three you were saying? Yeah, that would have been like 10 or 12. <laughs> yeah, 10 or 12. Do you think that was sort of the catalyst to this creative path for you? Or what do you think pushed you in that direction? It was actually still the music side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in a band and we were 14, 15. And I basically managed the entire process. Uh, I managed all the promoters. I managed us getting there on time. I managed getting all of our equipment there, making sure we had equipment to borrow. And also doing things like we needed eventually to have some merch made. We needed Mm -hmm. something other than just us on stage. And the catalyst for me kind of moving towards design was going, well, we need a t-shirt design, so I'm going to have to make one (laughs) because no one else is going to bother, so I need to. (laughs) (laughs) So you ran the business end, and then all of a sudden you were creating a brand for this band. Yeah, and but that was was multiple years later. That was when I was about... In, in college so the last two years of high school for you guys um so 16 17 mm-hmm. and i was spending instead of doing my academic a levels or my courses i was just skipping most of them spending every single break period i had in the library learning how to use adobe illustrator very cool what was the band name oh god mate you don't really want to know i honestly <laughs> would rather not share because that's going to drag out some serious content <laughs> Fair, fair enough. I'll leave it at like that. In, it was it was kind of similar to like a Enter Shikari dance slash metal vibe. We'll go with that. <laughs> Perfect. I'm taking you down memory lane here, man. Oh, mate. Um, all right. So I want you to take us back to when you first started noticing design out in the world. What, yeah. You, so was there a specific moment? It was kind of the same thing. So as I realized that we need some band merch, I was like oh, sugar, like we need some, we need some merch and I need to look at other people's stuff and I need to see what's going on and I need to understand how the rest of the world is doing this because I was always intrigued by um, album artwork and particularly in the metal scene, it's all very abstract and the concepts are usually quite dark and things like that. So although that wasn't like graphic design, so mm-hmm. to speak, it was still enough of an entry into the design world to see that, there were different ways of doing different things. So whether you packaged your album artwork on the T-shirt or whether you had something that was slightly changed to fit the format. And it was it was this introduction to design where I was like, okay, well, if I can make a T-shirt, I can probably make as a logo. Like I can I can do little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. So it was all it was all the music world that inspired my design side. Mm-hmm. 
So after the band stuff and creating the merch for the band, what was your next sort of foray into design? How did you land up being C. Fowler Design with logo and branding? <laughs> so I thought after that kind of foray, I was like, oh, well, I'll just keep, you know, making making some T-shirts maybe for myself, maybe mm-hmm. some ideas or designs just on the side. And I thought, well, if I'm this passionate about merchandise, why don't I become a T-shirt printer? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I became a T-shirt printer and I spent two years working for a company that has now gone bust, which is funny because um, that was a horrible job. But um, (laughs) the my thinking behind that was that I was going, okay, well, I love the idea of printing and making merchandise and seeing things out in the real world. And it quickly became apparent that I didn't actually enjoy well, I was firstly inundated with awful design. So <laughs> you would see horrendous clip art, horrendous multicolor transfers for no reason, font choices, icons. It was it was horrible. And mm. it just kind of made me a little depressed after a while just to be like, oh, my God, I love this process. But my God, these designs are crap. Like they're just absolutely awful. Yeah. And I realized that after a while, I didn't actually want to help people make merchandise. I wanted them to help. I wanted to help them make something that could become great merchandise. Got it. So to go one step back. Yeah. So then would you translate those horrible clip art shirts to like emoji shirts in today's world? Is that that (laughs) the direct correlation? Yeah, 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 for sure. So we were talking like um, there was maybe two or three companies that were good, like that would come in regularly. Mm -hmm. And that was it almost everything else was just trash. Uh, um, and it wasn't just the case of the print, uh, like the design itself, but also what they wanted. So they wanted something like, um, let's say, a red print on a black T-shirt. And it's like, well, you can't see it. Like, what was the point? And it, it was all these creative things that, these little decisions that weren't, weren't made mm-hmm. that ended up pushing me to, A, leave that job, and B, pursue something that was in the design portion rather than in the printing and manufacturing portion mm-hmm. of the process. And was that screen printing on t-shirts? Yeah, it was manual. So yeah, it was manual. screen printing. It was manual. So it was super hot and heavy, particularly at this time of year. I would be, I'd have to get up earlier to do my shift to print because by midday you couldn't print. It was too hot. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay, so it's probably the answer to this next question is probably not any of the t-shirts that you saw while working there. <laughs> but what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Either something that you've seen or something you've been a part of? I think when I first came into contact with uh, Aaron Draplin's work was mm-hmm. probably particularly for his stylistic choice um, was the most influential at that point Mm -hmm. Um, particularly when I was going through kind of a rough point when I decided to do this full-time to see someone who was a bit older considerably older than I am but to also see his style choice and how different it was to maybe what I was doing what I was used to seeing particularly coming from a music background Mm -hmm. and to see that he wasn't like a super corporate guy he was someone who was like me at the time, maybe a bit kind of jolly, kind of a bit bright, a bit um, not afraid to speak his mind and kind of go through that. So it wasn't just a case of the design work he put out, but it was the way it was packaged as well. Because he's very relatable. Yeah. 
did you, he seems like just like an everyday guy that you could approach yeah. at a show. Yeah. And I think that's one of the qualities that has got him so far is because he is, as you say, completely relatable and hmm. honest as well. Yeah, definitely. Got it. Yeah, his work is awesome. I love seeing his work. So you had mentioned Raplin, but I want to know if you have a couple of other designers or brands that you look up to or closely follow and what is it about them that you like? So I really love, um, I'm going to keep dropping his name until I die, Brendan Goodcuff <laughs> of Goodcuff Design. Uh, he is, I've spoken to him a few times uh, for the podcast that I do as well and he's a lovely guy and one of the first people that I kind of found through Instagram as well. So I always look, go back and look at his work um and so he's he's less of like a design legend maybe he will be one day but he's someone who is in the community that i i'm kind of fond of um chris doe at the future he's mentored me uh, on and off for best part of a year or so mm-hmm. uh, probably getting close to two now and that has been really insightful and i know a lot of other people look up to him as well for design work um and kind of moving through just the the community in general uh, Jay Fletcher and Nick Slater and people who are very, very talented at what they do and they're very niche as well, particularly mm-hmm. with the style that they go for, um, which allows someone like me looking in to say, well, I don't do that and maybe I don't particularly like this style, but I see the the impact it has and I see how they've done it and I see how the process, because for I'm a process guy, I'm a strategy guy, mm-hmm. so... I want to know why that was chosen, how it was done, and break it down. I'm not kind of going, oh, I kind of look up to you because you worked with MasterCard or you worked with Apple. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care. I don't care who you've worked for. I don't care what you do. What I want to see is your process, how you did it, and why you made those choices. Interesting. So there's a couple of things I want to unpack a little bit from that answer. Um, you had mentioned that you have had a mentor the last couple of years. Um, yeah, mentorship has come up quite a bit in the last like three or four episodes. So yeah. I wanted to ask you how, tell us about that experience. What's that been like? So it was part of the Young Guns series on the Futures YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of maybe less of a traditional mentorship. It was, um, we would be given projects, we'd receive feedback and it would be documented and showcased through their channel. Mm-hmm. Now that was a brilliant experience and to be able to have access to Chris's and the, and the future's team's time to be able to do that was amazing. Now it's not like a thing where we check in every day or we check in once a week. It was as, and when those projects came in. So it was a little bit sporadic at times, Mm -hmm. um, depending on their schedule, but to be able to say that when Chris comes to London, he knows who I am and that we spend some time chatting and catching up and making sure things are on the right path. Or he helps me with a particular question or, or things like that. The fact that I know, I can ask those questions. Mm-hmm. That's the type of mentorship that it is. Um, so I'm not sure what other people had had that you've mentioned. Nope, that is mentorship. It can be anything, yeah. really. It could be checking in once a week. It could be once a month, every three months. Um, but it's basically just somebody who's a little bit higher uh, or further along in their journey than you are. For sure. Providing feedback and guidance for everyone else. And, you know, anybody is in a spot to do that. You know, if I was in year four of graphic design school, um, I could be uh, mentoring a year one because there's things that I wish I knew in year one that if somebody had told me, right, that sort of situation. So definitely that is an official mentorship relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying it. Stamp, like of, approval. Star and a stamp of approval. Yeah. 
And the other thing you had mentioned in that last question is a bit of is you love process. You love learning about the process. Yeah. Um, so my next question would be, tell us a bit about your process. What makes your process unique? I wouldn't say I have a unique process, but what I do do is something that is maybe less common because of the general way that people do design work, particularly within branding and mm -hmm. logo design. So if we speak about logo design kind of by itself, a lot of people just go straight in. They get a couple of sentences from their client or a questionnaire and they just go straight in. And it's like, I did that for a year and I just you just throw spaghetti at the wall and it just doesn't work. Nothing mm -hmm. sticks. Or if something sticks, you've done it 20 times and you've wasted and you've burnt all your profit away. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I focus heavily on doing research. Now I'm intending on learning and getting through the brand strategy type stuff. But for now, I've taken elements of that that I can use. Like we look at competitors, we look at their history, their goals. Um, we look at their users, their current users, their target users, where they want to be in the future and kind of establishing some traits that we can actually use to make an art direction, which then becomes stylescapes. So we translate analytical information, the keywords, the history, etc. into visuals. The stylescape is then approved or, or one is selected from a selection. And then it goes through to the sketching, the design phase, the concepting. And then mm -hmm. something that I do that's maybe a little bit different to most people is I only present one logo concept. Got it. So I go through the entire process of creating all of the digital ones, sketching out loads of them. I write and showcase all of that into a presentation and explain when I go to the client, I say, right, this is where we started. This is what I did when we weren't kind of talking to each other as much. Mm -hmm. I did the sketches. We did this process. Here's maybe a short video if I can get one on the presentation or just some pictures. And then breaking it down to why we why I went for this particular concept and then usually it'll either be fab, that's great, we signed it off, or it's a small round of revision to finish it off. Mm -hmm. And then obviously identity work on top of that could include that could include things like packaging, that could include whatever the deliverables that they need are for that particular phase of their business. Mm -hmm. So what is the, I guess, the reasoning or, or your reason for presenting only one logo? Because like you mentioned, that is a little bit uncommon. Um, usually it's two to three or something like that. But what's your reasoning behind that? So I follow, um, I'm part of a community called the Sean West community, which is run by a designer and um, called Sean McCabe. And well, he does less design now, more business related content and, mm -hmm. and courses helping people. But he released a blog post called the One Concept Approach maybe four or five years ago now, a while ago. And it crossed my desk back then when I wasn't a designer and I remember it distinctly and I came back to it last year um, or earlier this year and I said this is there's a reason for this this works because the reason I used to show three concepts was because I didn't trust myself to pick one mm, okay and as much as many people and other designers say oh I'd like to give my client an option they should be able to pick it's like no 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 hold on hold on hold on you've done all this research all this hard work you've been the expert for them up to this point and then you want them to have a yes or no, like you want to give them the choice again. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. And especially when you've been hired for your expertise to then hand your expertise off and say, which one do you like the most mm -hmm. is extremely unprofessional because you're making what should be an objective choice 
into a subjective matter. So you're you're saying it's like if you present three, you're asking them to see what they like. Mm-hmm. And often what they like is not going to be suitable. So I take that out of the equation and we do one concept because I know that with what I've created and my expertise in design, mm-hmm. whereas they don't have that, I can look at the analytical data, the visual data we've picked and say, does that tick off all the boxes up to this point and the goals for the project? And if it does, most of the time it's been a good fit. Like more often than not when I've been doing this, I've had maybe a minor revision of some type or a color um, or some adjustment to the softness or placement of a particular shape in the design. And that's it. Because when you have a client who has come to you for your expertise and trusts you with that process, mm-hmm. you there's, there's a no need to give them that choice or that it's not a choice because it's just you not being professional and it's 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 you not trusting your own process enough to make that call. That's why I do one instead of three. I understand it. I get it now. Because of all of the homework that you've put into it, all of the information they have given you as that expert, they're trusting you to make the decision. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right. So the next couple of questions I have for you take you down a part of your career where you maybe learned some lessons, made some mistakes. Um, and I want to, I want to bring those stories out and share the lessons that you learned with the audience here. What has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Probably the biggest challenge I had up to this point was within the first six months of me kind of doing this. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really established a proper process I was kind of just fumbling around. I got referred to kind of an acquaintance's uncle who is a big businessman and he had uh, recently opened up a, a restaurant in in London. Nice. And it was potentially going to be quite a big job. Um, it was the case of rebranding or updating what they have. So they, they wanted to keep the same aesthetic as inside the restaurant, mm-hmm. but they wanted to change the branding because it was just stock. It wasn't anything particularly great. And when the packaging and all those things came through and I got to see them, um, I actually met them in person, which was foolish. Um, there were so many, uh, looking back on this thing, there was this project, there were so many, so many red flags that I just mm-hmm. ignored because I was like, well, it's going to be a great project. It's going to be fun. Blah, 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 blah. And what ended up happening was he sent me the deposit and it was a fairly large sum of money uh, because it's a large expensive business and they had a lot of stuff they needed doing and not only did i i left the deposit in my bank account i didn't touch it that should have been a red flag because my gut was like hey you shouldn't spend this in case everything goes completely wrong so at that point i should have gone yeah we can't do this this is dumb just send him his money back um and what ended up happening was i was making designs i was creating some concepts blah 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 and this was kind of around Christmas time mm-hmm. of that year. And I knew that he was going to be traveling at one point. And I said, okay, cool. Well, thanks for letting me know that you're going to be traveling in this period. Let's arrange something before then. And it was it's hard to remember the exact thing, but it was every time we tried to have a call, he wouldn't answer. Mm-hmm. Or he'd say, I'll be free in an hour. And I said, that's not good enough every single time and there was a point where 
we'd arranged he was he was away he said on a business trip in the states and i said okay well do you have any time particularly to take a call so we can go through this and he said yeah no problem i phoned him and he said oh uh yeah sorry i can't speak right now we're just getting ready to get on a plane to go down to mexico uh for a couple of days to go and hang out on the beach and i was like so this time we've booked together to sort out this for your business you can't be bothered to handle it or take the time to talk to me and he went yeah sorry about that <laughs> and i was like so i phoned him up one day and said i'm firing you because like with my now confident voice but at the time it was like i uh, we can't do this anymore because you i can't hold your like meetings <laughs> and basically I was very lucky because I didn't spend any of that deposit because he demanded it back, even though I'd done like two rounds of concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done a considerable amount. And in the contract he'd signed, I'd said deposits are non-refundable, as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically said, I'd take you to court over it. Oh, and at that point, you're like, do I and even I was want like, to bother? I was like, this is not worth it. The amount of money here is not worth it, uh, considering the time I'd have to put into it. And I said... Fine. If that's the way you want to play, like I'll send you your money back. If you're going to be just a massive, like every word under the sun in, for your own business, mm-hmm. then why bother? And ever since then, it's kind of been, right, well, if someone's not willing to sit down with me for 20 minutes to have a discovery call, then they're not going to be willing to do the, like, to do the entire project. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. No. So no, they aren't invested enough. Precisely. And I was very lucky and very put a lot of foresight into the fact of I need to keep that money just in case. And because had I spent that or bought new equipment, I would have been stuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the biggest struggle. And I've, I've learned from that, weirdly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, we take those as lessons. <laughs> we do. We take those. We do take those. That's great. And have you eaten at the restaurant before? Uh, I was given a sandwich the day that I went to see it. Mm-hmm. Counts for something. But you haven't moved um, back. But no, no, I haven't even looked at it. It's not even in a part of town I'd go to. <laughs> there we go. So now, uh, I mean, you kind of nailed the next question, so I'm just going to skip it. The designer project you're part of that did not go well. I mean, that one covers mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, for sure. What is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Uh, something that I would say that's a bit more of a struggle is establishing client bases because it's just the way things are at the moment. I've been I'm trying to understand whether social is going to be the best way to do this, which platform is going to be the best best way, what kind of marketing I want to do, where I want to put my time, mm-hmm. whether it's better to just go to in person events. I had a lot of success going to some in person events recently, and it's like it's trying to understand where to be eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and as someone who's self-employed and running your own business, it's very difficult to say, right, well, I'm going to do this thing and see how it goes. But everyone's also doing these other six things and I need to do a little bit of this and a little bit. And it's just like, oh, my God, I just want to get to the point where I can hire someone to say, right, here's your content. Here's it finished. You go and spend six hours repurposing that and putting it on all the platforms for me because I can't be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably the biggest thing is that trying to get lead generation yep, and then also marketing. So it's, it's continuing that loop because often as I found out and 
won't be doing again. I burnt myself out on client work, which then meant I didn't have the energy or the desire to promote myself, which mm-hmm. meant I didn't get any more client work. <laughs> so it's that vicious anti-cycle yeah, that you and, go through. And don't forget, while you're doing all of that, don't forget the accounting side. Don't forget to actually do the client work while you're marketing yourself. Yeah, precisely. So many. Um, when you go to those in-person events, what's your what's yeah. your approach? How do you how do you reach out? Like you're just basically walking up cold, right? Yeah. So it depends on the type of event. Um, if I was going to, there's like three types of events that I'll go to. There's design events, so mm-hmm. that's like generally like a glug event. I think that you might know what glug is. Uh, they have those in Canada, I believe. But the um, those events are typically just creatives there. There are other design people. It's usually mobbed with in-house designers kind of coming out of work Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. There's talks. So it's not really a place to get work, but it's a place to network when meet other designers and see what the rest of the world does. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's networking events like business networking events, which I haven't been to as many, um, but the ones that I have been to often there's kind of icebreaker points where you get paired up and it's very easy to kind of listen to other people and they'll ask you questions. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that I think are the hardest are going to expos and conventions and things like that. So I went to a, a CBD expo last weekend mm-hmm. and it was just a case of I'm a designer in a world where everyone is just selling product. Like these, none of these people in this room are designers. There was probably two or three designers in like the thousand people that were there. Yep. So what I do is I just, I have a card in my pocket and it stays in there until they ask for one. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing, which you guys at home probably are not going to be able to see, but this is, this is half the stack of business cards that I got from one event. And what I do, there's probably... 30 or 40 or even 50 cards there and what i would do is i just go around and talk to everyone and i start to pick up key points key ideas so one of the things at this event was the idea of transparency and being honest about your supply chain so i would go and ask everybody that question and eventually that meant that i made connections with people you get their business card and then you add them on linkedin you send them a nice message and then you've got the full cycle yeah you're in their network you're in their network and you can promote content to them via LinkedIn. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people miss is this idea that, yeah, it's great putting stuff on Instagram, but you can't target specific people um, very easily, Mm -hmm. particularly those in the business world who could potentially be your clients. So they're the kind of three ways that I would find clients and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most effective one is definitely still definitely meeting people in person for sure. Yep. Way quicker. It's interesting that you mentioned LinkedIn because that was the topic from an interview uh, a few interviews ago with Nathan Yoder. He's a talented oh, yeah. illustrator, and he um, we were talking about LinkedIn and how it's kind of underutilized by the creative industry as far mm-hmm. as connecting directly to the people who are going to hire you. Yeah, Whereas for sure. Instagram is great for creating a following, and you're going to get some clients out of that, you know, by building that following and sharing your work there. But Instagram is like, is that business to business? Who's going to buy my service? You're marketing directly to them. Precisely. And it's also for many creatives, it's like a clean slate because you can go in and say, right, well, I don't have any Facebook friends. I don't have any Twitter friends. I don't have any weird design mutuals on Instagram. Mm -hmm. What we can do is go to these types of events that you want to get clients from. So I know people who go to like industrial manufacturing events. 
they get everyone's business cards, they have a chat with them, and then they send them a message related to the conversation they had. They get added on LinkedIn, you get a nice network, you share content for it, and it's full circle and you get hired eventually. Mm -hmm. It's an awesome circle that what they've built over there. So I'm going to switch gears now to the, I want you to tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you're the most proud of. One that just makes your heart sing. Okay. So probably one of the, actually probably the latest project that I was on. So I worked with a company called Well Told. um, And it's the reason, one of the reasons I'm so proud of it is because it was kind of, there was a big up and down in the middle of it, um, mm-hmm. but it ended up really well, going really well, and it was the first logo I'd ever had trademarked. Oh, cool. So it's it's officially trademarked in the US, um, and yeah, th- that, that, that makes me very, very proud to be able to say that we're on the books now, lads. <laughs> There's no going back. <laughs> we're officially in the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. That's great. Thank you. Um, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Well, design tool um, would be my sketchbooks. I always use dot grid sketchbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones I get asked this literally all the time. The ones that I get are pretty frippin' cheap. They're just someone just designed it and put it on Amazon and was like print on demand. <laughs> so if you go to the dot grid.com, that's where I get mine from. Mm-hmm. Um, one website I can't live without probably coolers C O O L O R S.co. It's a color palette generator. Oh, um, cool. So you can just mash space bar and it will just reload color palettes <laughs> and then you can, you can lock specific colors and mash the button again so you like find a color you like and then just keep spamming it it's fab i, I love that bit of my process just to sit there for half an hour and smash the <laughs> smash space bar, the space bar. Um, one of the probably my favorite community um is the sean west community it's not specifically design related it's more like creative business uh and service providers and they're all fab and sean makes an absolute metric ton of amazing content uh from courses to his podcast to a live chat every week so Mm -hmm. it's a paid for community but it's well worth the entry fee Mm -hmm. awesome great answers so i want to end here connor with the ask it forward question this is an opportunity where my last guest had a question to ask you and you get an opportunity to ask a question of the next guest i'm not going to tell you who they are but you can ask them anything So the question that I have for my past guest is one of the easier ones, but I'm very interested to hear your response. Okay. Connor, what is your favorite pizza? Oh, is that an easy question? Now remember, it says a lot about you. (laughs) I mean, I could have just said pineapple to be spiteful, but I'm not going to. Um, Wait, do you have a problem with pineapple on pizza? No, no, I love it. Good. That's why that's... That's why it would be spiteful because I know <laughs> many people don't. Um, oh my god! Pineapple belongs on pizza, everybody. Yeah. Cool, Connor. What is your question for my next guest? Uh, the question's going to be why are you not on LinkedIn yet? <laughs> and if they are, how are they using it? Why are they not using it? Because almost no one uses it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's crazy how they're not. Perfect. I'm going to ask him. Connor, that's the end of the podcast, man. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. We did it, man. We did it. (laughs)
All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I really appreciate your time. You can find the Fowler Hour podcast on Apple iTunes, also Spotify, and I'm sure there's other places as well, but those would be the two primary. Um, Please head over to iTunes for the Quickie Podcast and leave a review and a rating. I really appreciate them. I read them and I love seeing them. Thanks again for your time, guys, and we will see you tomorrow. Cheers.